Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 104. Hi, Principal Matters listeners. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about messaging with students, environment, celebration, and communication. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my resources and books at my website at williamdparker.com. This week, I want to replay for you a webinar that I recently hosted for my state association on messaging with students as we've jumped into chapter four of the book, Messaging Matters, that I released this year with Solution Tree Press. Before I jump into that replay, I want to also let you know that I put a shout out in recent podcasts for individuals interested in building their own digital platforms. And I'm going to be hosting a webinar coming up this weekend that is by invitation only. So if you'd like to participate in that, feel free to send me an email at will at williamdparker.com with the title, count me in, and then include your contact information in your email. And I'll follow up with a link to that webinar, or if it's after the fact, I'll be glad to connect with you with that recording so that you can participate in conversations about how do you, as an individual or as a leader, begin to build your own digital platform for sharing out your stories with others who want to connect with you on the lessons you're learning. So if that sounds interesting to you, please reach out. At this time, I'm going to transition over to the recorded webinar as we talk about how to create the environment, the celebration, and communication necessary for strong student messaging. This semester, we've been talking about the power of messaging, and the first sessions in this webinar series have focused on the power of messaging with teachers. And now we're going to transition as we look at chapter four about how do we cultivate a positive environment of messaging with students. As we start this conversation about chapter four and messaging, there's three areas that I want to talk about this week and how we cultivate positive environments for messaging with students. Area number one is ensuring a welcoming environment. Area number two is celebrating student success. And then area number three is communicating with students. And so I want to walk through really just practical examples of ways that we can be doing each of those areas. First, I want to talk about ensuring a welcoming environment. And I want to begin by just exploring for a moment the unique population whom we're serving. And last year, I was able to attend a Growing Leaders Conference hosted by Tim Elmore in Atlanta, Georgia. Tim is the leader of the organization Growing Leaders, who does a series of books called Habitudes, which are on teaching character to students. But Tim also was the author of a book called Generation IY, which was released in 2015, where he looks at the current trends of this generation of students in comparison to previous generations. And some people call this generation, Generation Z. Um, Tim refers to them as Generation IY or the iGen students. There's lots of labels for them. But here are some things that make this generation unique. The IY generation, these are kids who were typically born sometime after 1990. So most of our students who are either in college and earlier are a generation that has a different perspective than the generation who came before them or even our generation. And here are some things that are different. The, this generation of students has never known a world without internet access, 
rapid technology advances, and immediate information. And you know there's all kinds of implications for that, but I just want you to realize that this is a generation who does not know a world before that. Number two, this is a generation that's never known life before September 11th. And you know that the landscape, the political landscape, the social landscape, the global landscape has changed after 9-11. And so they've grown up in a world that is constantly on alert, which leads to this next point. They've never known a world without constant news of things like school shootings, global terrorism, economic uncertainty, and political unrest. And although I'm not going to get into the psychology that involves these kinds of settings, I do want to make a point that these kinds of situations mean that this generation of students whom we're raising right now live with an amount of stress and anxiety that no other generation has experienced before because of their exposure to this consistent element of stress. Now, there are some opportunities that have existed for this generation that have not existed before either, which means that this generation has never known a time with so much employment mobility, entrepreneurship opportunities, and social media movements. And so, although there are some downsides to a generation that has so much exposure to information and stress, there's also the upside in the ability for them to have access to opportunity. Now, having set that stage, I want to talk for just a moment about how do we create the most inviting and welcoming environments for students. Now, the need for a strong culture doesn't change regardless of the time that we live in, but I do want to make the point that I believe that in no other time have we ever been encountering students when they needed to feel like school was a place of welcoming, not just a place of education, but a place of belonging, a place where they're safe, a place where they're supported. And so one of the things that I like to do when I think about my school from the perspective of students is how do I look at that school with fresh eyes? How do I look at that school as a place where when someone walks in, especially a brand new student or kids that are beginning school at the beginning of the year, what are some questions that I should be asking as a school leader that makes sure that my environment is a place where students feel welcome? And here is just some, so a checklist that I like to go through at the beginning of a school year when I'm trying to determine, am I creating that kind of environment? First, do you have signage so that students know where they are? It's easy for us as adults to have memorized a location or become so familiar with a place that we forget that it's sometimes hard for others to find where they're going. And it's stressful. You know, I travel a lot in the work that I do when I uh, speak to other uh, state associations or work with principals in other locations. And I am keenly aware when I walk into a new setting that I need to find my way around and signage is the immediate thing that helps me to do that. How are we doing that for people stepping into our buildings, specifically our kids? Two, are our hallways free of distracting clutter and are they encouraging learning environments? It's so easy for us in the work that we do to begin to not take notice of the small things. And it's the small things that create environments for whether learning can be conducive or not. And so look around. What kinds of environments do you have for your students? Just a couple of weeks ago, I was with a principal, a national distinguished principal, Julie Bloss, who's an elementary principal in Grove, Oklahoma. And as I walked through her building, I was just blown away at the beautiful colors, the open spaces, the student art, 
and how that entire environment was conducive to a place of learning. So how can we do that? Even if we're restricted on our budgets, how can we make sure that we're creating the best learning environments? Number three, have we trained our staff on welcoming and greeting and guiding guests? You know, one of the conversations that we would have every year as we stepped into a new school year with our front office staff was making sure that people felt welcome when they came because it's one of the most stressful places in a building, that front office, because there's consistently managing either questions or sometimes conflicts or people that may be upset or, or lots of people showing up at the same time. And how do we still make people feel welcome in those settings? And so instead of calling people visitors in our school, we called them guests. And so whether that's a student coming in for help or a parent coming in for help or a community member, how do we make them feel welcome? And teachers do that as well in their classrooms. How are we standing at our doors? How are we making sure people feel welcome? When students would come into my classroom, I would stand outside my door to greet them. And as a principal, when students came to see me, even if I was disciplining them, I would stand, greet them, shake their hand before we sat and talked. And four, are students' schedules printed in advance and school maps available? How are we making sure that students know in advance, especially at the beginning of a semester, where they need to be and when they need to be there? And are we providing guidance for them to get to those places so that they're not under stress? If you've listened to previous webinar episodes I've done, I sometimes give examples of two students, one named Jenny and one named Billy, and how Jenny shows up to school her first day and she's overwhelmed without a map, uh, a schedule that places her in a classroom where she realizes that the teacher was not her teacher, but that teacher has failed to look at student schedules. And she begins her day very frustrated because the school's environment was not conducive for her to find where she needed to be and to feel welcome on that first day. And then Billy, on the other hand, shows up to school and there's direct signage. There's a place for him to go. When he walks into his teacher's classrooms, the name's on the board. He knows the room number. There's already something on his desk ready for him to get to work. He feels empowered by the environment in which he steps. And how do we look at our schools from the eyes of Jenny and Billy? Not our own eyes, but from the eyes of our students. Are we demonstrating to Jenny and to Billy that the place that they're coming is a place of welcoming? So, here are some other things to think about in terms of making sure that that's happening. Is your school website being updated with current calendars? Because not only are students looking for that information when they come to school, but often they're looking before they come to school. I have four children, uh, two of whom are still in high school, and I know they consistently look at their school's websites to see what's coming next. Next, are we holding orientation meetings for students and parents? How are we bringing people in and inviting them before school even begins, or even during the school year, transitioning those groups of next students into those settings. Last week, I also have a sixth grader in my class. I'm the father of four. Last week, the seventh grade counselors and principals pulled us into a meeting to prepare for next year. So spring is a great time to be bringing people in, students and parents, so that they can be oriented to what's coming next. And the next question is, has an informative, welcoming email or letter been published to your community? Because as the school leader, it's you're the chief communicator for your school. And so how are you communicating welcoming and informative publications to your school members so that students know in advance what to expect when they get there? Now, let's switch gears because the second thing that I want to talk about in terms of messaging with students is how do we create environments of celebration? And there's so many ways to do this. And again, I just want to talk about some practical ways that you can practice 
these things in your school. And so let me just dive into some suggestions that I have in terms of creating student success. But the first thing I want to say is this, you cannot create an environment of celebration in your school unless you're mindful to look for it. And so the first step is always, as you step into your school each day, no matter what the crisis is, no matter what the conflict is, no matter what kinds of other dilemmas that you may be managing, you have to keep your eyes open for the great things that are happening around you. Because when you do, then you have the momentum that can be built towards positivity. So for instance, at the beginning of every school day, when we were ready to do our morning announcements, we always tried to include in those morning announcements, celebrations. We also tried to include in those morning announcements, specific mottos that we used to remind students that this school was a unique place. For instance, one year, our student council came up with the motto because Skyatuk was the high school that I was principal. They researched and realized that no other town or school in the nation had that name. It's a unique Native American name. But our students wanted to use the motto that year, don't forget to be awesome. And remember, there's only one Skyatuk. So when we started our morning announcements, we would always start off the day celebrating something that had happened the day before. Maybe it was a win by a team or a show by the FFA or something that had happened within the school. And our student leaders were the ones that led those announcements. They were the ones that would greet the students, lead them in the pledge, celebrate the things that were happening, announce things that are coming up. And they would always end with that motto. And don't forget to be awesome. And remember, there's only one sky too. So how do you, as the school leader, cultivate that kind of atmosphere of celebration? Well, here's some ways that I think you can do that in practice. Number one, I think it's important that you embed in your school routines of celebration. So for us, that was a weekly newsletter that we would round up all the great things that kids were doing throughout the school and the teachers were doing in their, with their students in class or through activities. And we would make sure that those things were not only being shared out in daily announcements, but at the end of the week could be shared out with the entire community so that they could be aware of these were the great things happening this week. The second thing is just get creative. You know, sometimes morning announcements can be so boring and kids can completely zone them out. And so we would encourage our student leaders to think about how could they creatively engage. Sometimes they would turn those announcements into video announcements where they would send out a, a PowerPoint or some kind of slideshow to go with them and teachers could play those directly on their smart boards between classes or during class so that students could see those. Sometimes we would record MP3s ahead of time, like I'm recording this conversation. Uh, my student leaders would record their announcements and add music or the school song before a Friday night game where they didn't invite a player in for an interview. And so get creative in the way that you're displaying and announcing out the things about your school. Number three, don't be afraid to let your students become raving fans. And I know in the high school setting, this may be easier because they've got a lot of things to gravitate around in terms of activities and sports. But as great things are happening in your school, don't be afraid to let kids celebrate those too. One year, for instance, we had some students that knew that our local televisions were tracking fans of the week. And so because we were smaller than the larger 6A schools that were getting a lot of press in the Tulsa television reporting, our students decided to start a Twitter campaign where they targeted the anchors and the sports uh, casters from the TV stations in our local area. And they would target their Twitter hashtags toward them um, as fans of the week so that they could get more attention. And it worked. So they began showing up at our games just as much as they were showing up at the larger school games. And uh, one year, in fact, they had a competition for student fans of the year. 
and our school ended up winning. And I believe one of the reasons that we did was not just because we had raving fans, but because our kids learned how to target their celebration beyond our school at the media too. So how do you encourage your kids to become raving fans? Teach them how to do public relations. Number four, you must encourage an element of kindness in your school. And I'm just going to give you some for examples on this. A couple of years ago, our students were doing a campaign of good deeds. And actually last school year, a teacher came to see me and said, uh, Mr. Parker, we've had girls in the bathroom who've been leaving encouraging notes on the wall. And it had grown from just a couple of post-it notes saying things like, you are loved, or don't forget that you're awesome, or you shine like a diamond, to an entire wall that was covered with these post-it notes. And so we began to take pictures of, of the walls and put them on Facebook and share them out. We even had the local television station come and put us on the news. But this act of kindness was something that was being encouraged all year long because every single day our teachers had the opportunity to refer kids for kind deeds, not just referring them to the office for disciplinary action, but to refer them for kind deeds. And we created some Google forms to do that. And, and when I talk about technology tools, next time uh, we're together, I'll, I'll share some of those technology tools with you. But cultivating an atmosphere of kindness means that students can become the owners of that kindness. And their ability to come up with ideas is so much greater than ours. You know, another thing that, that we did in that Good Deed Awards was we made sure that kids were notified when they had been referred for good deeds. And if you're looking at the visual slide on this presentation, I'm just showing you a, a handful of Good Deeds Awards that we were able to hand out to students throughout the day. And so our student council kids would get together with their advisor and they would print these awards and then they would go and deliver them into classes and take pictures of students that we would post again on our social media and through our newsletter. And so by having an entire year built around encouraging deeds, good deeds, kindness, our students were being noticed regularly for the good things that they were doing. Now, did that mean that there weren't things happening throughout the year that required disciplinary action? Absolutely not. We still had our jobs to do in terms of holding students accountable for good behavior. But those were not the things we talked about on announcements. Those were not the things that we were spending our time uh, focusing or highlighting or spotlighting. We wanted to make sure that the great things happening among the 95% of our kids doing the right things every day was what was being talked about. So now it's your turn. What is a theme or a motto that your school could be rallying around. And you may have one already this year, but how can you involve students in that idea? Because when students help come up with those mottos, then they want to own them. Number two, what are routines or rituals that you can use to motivate student enthusiasm? And so whether that's a daily engagement or whether that's something culturally that's happened within your school, how can you begin rituals or routines that motivate student enthusiasm? Because when students are excited about their schools, they want to be there more. Number three, what is one step for providing a stronger platform for celebrating with students? Because we have to give them platforms for celebration. So whether that's engaging them in social media, whether that's allowing their photos to be things that get shared as well, how do you do that? And yes, we had a specific designated adult within our building who would screen what got posted on our social media, but we encouraged kids to participate and to feed us information or images that we could place there as well. And then fourth, how can students help drive celebration? You know, I tried to make it a habit of at least every week sitting down with student leader groups and talking to them about the priorities that they had for our school. 
And as I reflected with them, they would get ideas of things that could be happening in the school that were more powerful than my own. And so often they were the ones coming up with ideas for hashtags or momentum drives or sharing things out to the rest of the student body or the next spirit assembly, making announcements that they thought were important. So how can you involve students and driving the communication and the messaging and the celebration that's happening within your schools. Now, I want to switch gears and for part three, talk about how do we consistently communicate across a school culture with students so that we're keeping an environment where they feel like that communication is positive. And so I want to just have a discussion for a moment about some of the takeaways, some of the priorities that I tried to set as a school leader, and I've seen others practicing to create, to continue a good culture of communication with students, because communication is more than just PR. It's also the relationships that you're building with others. And so how do you give the gift of listening to your students? And I've probably told you this story before, but I remember one year we had a a student in our school that would be considered at risk who one day had been assigned some discipline to be in our in-school placement room. And she sent me a note halfway through the day saying that she had finished her work. Could she borrow a book? And I sent her the book called Chicken Soup for the Teenager's Soul. And at the end of the day, she asked if I had anything else to read because she had finished it. So I called her to my office because frankly, I was surprised that she had finished that book so quickly. And I began quizzing her about the chapters and realized she really had read the entire book. And what she said to me then was, that that book spoke to her in ways that nothing else had. So I asked the librarian for another chicken soup book and she gave me chicken soup for the women's soul. And when I gave it to this student, she clutched it to her chest like a Christmas gift. And she asked, is this mine? Can I take it home? As if I was giving her something wonderful. And I realized that for her, the gift of reading was an amazing thing, but I would have never known any of that if I had not just taken time to listen to what does this student need? So how are we taking times to cultivate a culture of good communication? So here's things I know you already know, but I just want to remind you. We do this first by creating a culture of dignity and respect, which means the ways that we communicate with our staff and our teachers and one another and with students shows them that we respect them. As a teacher, I would always say to my students when they came, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being here today. And Inevitably, they would ask me, finally, why do you keep telling us that every day? And I would say, because you do have a choice. You could violate compulsory ed law. You could violate your parents' expectations. But you chose to walk into this classroom today, and I'm glad you did. By creating an atmosphere of dignity and respect, we model what we want to see others demonstrating as well. Two, keep your messages positive. And as school leaders, it's easy sometimes when we see things that need to be corrected to jump on a PA system or to send out an email of correction. And I always suggest to to principals, please use the, uh, instead of using the shotgun method, for lack of a better term, just shoot one bullet. If, If you have a targeted message, target it to the person who may be needing correction. But stop scattering negative communication out to your entire school. And I remember when I was a young teacher, an administrator who would get on and yell at kids because the halls were full of kids who were tardy to class. That's ineffective because all that does is communicate to the, all the students who are doing things right, that their administrator is angry. So keep your messages positive. Announce those great things that are happening in your schools. But if you have things that need to be corrective measures, then target the kids who need that correction or have your teachers talk about that 
and weekly updates, but don't make that your consistent messaging. Number three, be consistent. Nothing communicates confusion more to students if you don't consistently enforce the rules and expectations that you've given them. So give them realistic expectations and then follow through. Number four, be human. Students need to know that you are a person, not simply a man or a woman who has principal by their name or education leader on your office door. They need to know that you are a human. And that doesn't mean that you can't still be firm, fair, and consistent in your practice with them, but they need to see that you care about them. Number five, be professional. In all of your dealings, if you're going to communicate with your teachers and your students that the expectations that you have for them are excellent, then that means you have to practice excellence too. So in your communications, in your preparations, in the work that you're doing every day, do it well. And finally, provide the resources and supports necessary for the unique setting you find your school in. And there's a great list by Ruby Payne, who wrote the book, A Framework for Understanding Poverty, where she lists out eight specific resources that students need if they're going to be successful in school. And here's the reminder of those resources. If a student is going to be successful in school, they need one, financial resources available for them to be able to do school. We have to have good school funding. Two, emotional resources. They have to have the emotional capability to manage their and to regulate how they feel while they're in school. Number three, mental ability and acquired skill. They have to be able to process and understand information and acquire the skills to do so. Number four, they have to have spiritual guidance or purpose. And this is based on Ruby Payne's research. If they don't have some sense of purpose in their life, then they will be distracted and unmotivated. Next, they need physical health and the ability to be mobile. So if that means we provide them with mobility assistance, then that's important. But we need to be aware that their physical health is a part of their ability to learn. Next. They need a support system, whether that's family, friends, available backup resources, whatever we, we need to create a place where they feel supported. And number seven, they need relationships. They have to have role models in their lives if they're going to be able to demonstrate and exercise the expectations that we give them. Those relationships are where they lean when they struggle. And then number eight, they need a knowledge of hidden rules. Every culture, whether it's uh, socioeconomic, demographic, or school-related, has its own hidden rules and cues. And learning the habits of a group is an important process of understanding how to survive in that group. So as school leaders, let me just challenge you to think about how are you providing the available resources for students? Because unfortunately, they don't always find these resources in their homes or even in their, in their communities at large. And our schools have become the primary place for many of our students to find those essential resources necessary for them to thrive in their learning. And I know in my practice, sometimes that means that we have brought in resources from our community to make sure we can provide those things. If there are financial needs that our school can't provide, for instance, we have a local foundation that we've partnered with in Skytook. It was a foundation called SEEK, Skytook Emergency Action Committee, that was retired uh, teachers and community members who'd come together to raise funds to help any kid that had some kind of financial need happening in their family or home. How can you build those community supports to support your kids and students? And then as you look at that list of other resources that are available, how do you involve counselors or therapists or school nurses or your community social workers or other relationships with coaches or youth pastors? How do you involve the community and making sure that you're providing the best environment so that students have a positive place to come every single day? So in the last point I want to make on this, on this part of communicating a culture of, of strong 
listening and understanding is stay hopeful even when the outcomes aren't always predictable. So no matter how well you do all those things with consistency and communication and creating resources for students, there will be times when the outcomes may be disappointing. But students who still struggle, even in the best environments, need you to maintain hope. Because if you give up hope as an educational leader, then there's not someone leading others towards hopeful ends either. And so, yes, I know in my own practice, there's times where I've had to look at student progress in chapters. This chapter might be a great one and the next one might be disappointing, but I don't want to give up on that chapter. I want to go to the next one. So stay hopeful, even when sometimes the outcomes can be frustrating or difficult because leaders are the ones who need to remain courageous in the face of difficulty. So now it's your turn. How can you be organizing your messages so that they are consistently positive no matter what challenges your school is facing? What rituals or routines or practices can you employ this week for strong learning environments? What ways can you take risks to communicate, to connect with student engagement? How can you be taking risks to make sure students are engaged? And then finally, what resources can you identify to help your students be successful. So let's wrap up this conversation. You know, when I was growing up, I spent my kindergarten through eighth grade years in one school in a very rural Northwest Tennessee community where it took me 45 minutes to get to school by bus down gravel roads and long winding uh, pathways. And I was a student who struggled. I was, I didn't know it at the time, but when I look back now, I realized that I was a Title I kid. I was on free and reduced lunch programs. I was a, a, uh, seeing a reading specialist. And then when my father re-enlisted in the military in high school, I ended up in uh, other states. I went from Tennessee to New York and then from New York to Virginia and then back to Tennessee. And so I have been in a lot of different environments, both rural, suburban, urban. And I've also been that kid who's walked into the school setting as the new student more than once. In fact, I go into in four different high school settings. So here's what I want to wrap up this conversation with this week. I can think back to every one of those school settings and how that school's culture either supported me or didn't support me in my learning. And I want to ask you today, when's the last time you looked at your school from the fresh eyes of someone new? Because sometimes we need to just take a step back and look at our school from the fresh eyes of a new student or a new teacher or a new community member. But as we think about specifically students, how can we look at our school from the eyes of them so that we're asking ourselves these important questions of how are we communicating with them as the leaders of their schools in ways that make them feel supported, encouraged, positive, and make them want to be there to learn. Well, that's it for this week's webinar. I hope that was helpful and just some practical ways for you to stay connected and positively messaging with your students. Next time when we get together, March 6th, we'll be talking about how can you use technology tools for messaging with students? And then how can your weekly newsletters be a, a powerful way for you to round up great messaging? And so I just want to show you some of the tools that principals can use to employ stronger messaging with students. So I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for the time that you've taken for this webinar. And until next time, thanks for doing what matters. And I'll talk to you soon.